Hi everyone and welcome to Bootstrapping SaaS. I am Val Sopi and currently I'm running Blogstatic.io, a blogging and newsletter platform. In this show, I invite guests to talk about SaaS and sometimes I run solo with an update. Michelle Hansen is the co-founder of Geocodio. Uh, she co-hosts Software Social Podcast and is the author of Deploy Empathy. How do you do all of these? Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> In today's episode, I am curious to learn more about Michelle's SAS lessons and how she got to where she is today. So welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me on, Val. Yeah. So um, uh, first question I wanted to ask uh, was, what is Geocodio? Geocodio is a geocoding SAS for North America. Um, so at a basic level, a computer does not understand addresses. It only understands coordinates, aka the geocodes. So what we do is convert addresses to coordinates. So for example, if you want to make a map, you need those coordinates. Um, and then also the coordinates to addresses so that a human can read them. And where we specialize, sort of our little niche in the market is where people need other data in addition to that. So for example, if you need someone's time zone, you first need to convert it to coordinates and then you look up the time zone. Uh -huh. um, so we, you know, congressional districts um, or, you know, ridings in Canada, census data, all that kind of stuff um, is really our focus because you could end up using five or six different APIs to just get one piece of information. And so we try to make it easy for people to work with lots of different data and just get it all back in one format for one price and just get on with whatever it was they wanted to do in the first place. And who's the customer for that? So we are a truly horizontal um, uh, business in terms of our, our customer base. Like we serve every industry. Um, we're, we're definitely B2B, though we do have some students who use us. Like a lot of uh, professors um, have their students learn how to um, work with geographic data with Geocodio mm -hmm. since we have a free tier. Um, but other that that's really as close as we get to, to B2C um, is but mostly B2B. So it's everything from insurance companies to banks to, um, you know, other software to mm -hmm. researchers to kind of you name it. Oh, wow. um, it's And that's one of the fun things about it is that I get to learn about so many industries and companies and I'm like, wow, I didn't even know this thing existed and they use our product. That's so cool. Um, yeah. it's, I mean, you know, one of my favorite examples is, um, how most tractors are very technologically sophisticated now and they send back reports every day on the health of the tractor. Oh, wow. And okay. so one use case for that is, um, with the time zones and converting those coordinates, um, to time zones, because for example, if the tractor is sending you back a report at 11.59 p.m., you need to know that that is getting timestamped as the proper day if that tractor is in Delaware versus in California. Oh, wow. um, and so okay. it's just, there's just so many uh, fascinating things people are doing with geographic data and, and, and all of the different pieces of data they're adding to it. Um, and that really makes it fun. Yeah, that is incredible. It reminds me when VCs or, you know, the pitch sort of competitions people go to. And then when somebody asks them, like, who's your product for? And then you say, well, everyone. And they say, well, you got to be more specific. And then you're like, well, 
basically everyone. <laughs> everyone can use this, you know. It's like one of those products that um, I don't know who I was uh, hearing the other day. I think it was Card, uh, the one page uh, create or create creation app. Uh, card C A R R D. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like resumes, right? Yes, yeah, like one page. Yeah, like resumes. personal website. Yeah. Yeah, and the founder was saying, well, it's basically everyone. You know, you have all kinds of people using it, and I think we have to normalize that because so many times people ask you, like, well, who's your niche? Well, you know, maybe it's everybody. I don't know. It's, I. You know, you- that's yeah. why I tend to think about it in terms of not of like who people are, but what they're trying to do instead. Right. So mm-hmm. like, yes, ostensibly our market is everyone who's working with ge- geographic data, but it's like really not right. Like we, mm-hmm. you know, it's people who are trying to do like, like the best customers we serve are ones who are trying to work with these other pieces of data. There's somebody who's trying to connect to a government data set or understand you know, things about electoral districts or social determinants mm-hmm. of health or like all of these other things. Usually they're a developer or a data analyst or a marketing person um, who is trying to do that kind of work. Um, but we really tend to focus on what are they trying to do rather than who are they? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I should think more about like that for my app. Um, yeah, so I mean, this brings me to the next question. How did you come around this idea? Was it something that you were professionally involved in, or you tried many things? I'm very curious about that. Yeah, it came about because it was something that we needed ourselves, and the terms and pricing of the existing providers basically prevented us from using them. Mm-hmm. So we had this little app that would help you find an open grocery store or coffee shop. So um, in 2012, you couldn't just type in, you know, Starbucks into Google and it would tell you which one was nearby and what the opening hours are like it does now. You had to remember, okay, I think there's a Starbucks a couple blocks away. Let me go to their website and let me enter my zip code and then let me find the one nearest to me and then let me see what the hours are. And if it's like, you know, four o'clock in the morning and you've got to be up for some reason and you need some coffee, like you don't have the kind of brain power to go six clicks deep Mm -hmm. to figure out where you should go. Um, So we made this little app that you just pulled it up and it showed a map of what, you know, grocery stores, convenience stores and coffee shops near you. And uh, it was doing well. We launched it in DC where we lived first um, and we started expanding it. And the problem we ran into was that um, with Google at the time, you could get 2,500 free address to coordinate lookups per day, um, but you could only cache them for 30 days. You couldn't store mm-hmm. them in your database. And so when we expanded to the point where we had more than 2,500 stores in the app, the next option was to pay them like tens of thousands of dollars a year for 100,000 oh. lookups a day. And we we're like, we just need 5,000. Like we can't just like pay you some reasonable amount like this is like a little app we had that made like 400 bucks a month in ad revenue like we did not have the funds to have an annual enterprise contract with google so um we ended up building a very rudimentary geocoder for ourselves and just to keep this app running and as we kind of you know just talked to our other developer friends about this they had the same problem um and someone was like hey like what if you just like make 
at an API and slap a paywall in front of it. And then maybe other people will pay you enough to pay for the servers for it. Hmm. So we're like, oh, instead of having to pay Google, like we could just have other people cover the server costs for this. And then we get to keep our app running. Awesome. So when we launched it in January of 2014, our... Uh, definition of success was making $20 a month, which would cover the two tiny little digital ocean droplets right. we had running. Okay. And we ended up making $31 and we were over the moon. Wow. <laughs> well, and this was the beginning of Geocodio as a standalone, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my. And now you're, I think, I think you shared some of it publicly, like you're above a million or so ARR. Yeah. That is just Not amazing. MRR, ARR. Yes. <laughs> ARR, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that is amazing. And like, I always go back to, you know, like I have this relationship with luck. Whenever I mention luck, like people think that I'm sitting around and waiting something to fall in my head, like an apple or something. And what I mean by it is like, like you do whatever you, have, you do, whatever you think you should do, whatever you have to do, you position yourself and then something happens and then you sort of catch that. And I think that is luck because you were sort of in a position to be aware of what's happening. Like, do you feel that switch was like a lucky break? Is it something you guys in engineered like with your sort of your own self-awareness in a way? Like, how, how do you feel about that sort of lucky break versus like, you know, engineering this sort of serendipity sort of situations? I mean, on the one hand, we didn't plan it this way, right? And like when we launched it, like, and we threw the link that, you know, the show HN link up, like, we never dreamed that we would be like front page of Hacker News the whole day. Now, mm -hmm. we've never matched that traffic, but like uh, anything close to it. Um, but like that was luck, but it was also people really needed this too. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, okay. People really needed this too. At the same time, um, you know, I feel I feel like you can't talk about luck without talking about privilege, right? Like people say that you mm -hmm. talk, you make your own luck, and I think that's true. Like we are doing these things to make our luck, but also like we had full time salaried, you know, nine to five jobs, and mm. if we had had to be working at night as well in a second job, or you know, stringing together multiple part time jobs as many millions of people do mm -hmm. like we would not have had that time and energy at the end of the day to be able to have our eyes open to opportunities never mind to be able to spend time building them and to spend our nights and weekends building a product is almost a privilege in and of itself um mm -hmm. and so so yes there's this element of luck there's also this element of of privilege and of of having that opportunity and seizing it. And, 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 you know, I didn't know anything about customer research when we launched it. Like, so yes, we kind of, you know, we pr tested the prototypes with our friends, but like we were just happened to be very lucky that we stumbled into something that a lot of other people needed. Like we mm -hmm. launched a bunch of stuff that didn't ever take off too. So, um, you know, it's, I guess it's a combination of things. Yeah, I like that combination of luck and privilege. You know, it's so true because let's say you were aware of this problem, but like you said, you were working like three part-time jobs and you would have no energy or any means to say, hey, let me put everything on hold and go after this idea. You know, like I, I have this conversation all the time with my wife 
She works very hard. She has her own business and she's more, um, she leans towards more like you make your own luck. You know, you work hard. And then I go back always to myself. Like my parents were able to uh, pay me for my school uh, in U.S., uh, give me all this education that I'm now able to monetize. And if it wasn't for them, I don't know. Like I'd probably be working a lot of jobs right now. So, you know, that's privilege. And I guess, you know, luck. the lucky part is being in the position of noticing these little things around and then being able to say, hey, I can tackle that. I can bet on that a bit, you know. So, yeah, right. I, I never looked at it like that, but that makes so much sense, you know. Um, so after that first month of $31, was it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is 28 amazing. after fees, I think. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> and uh, how long, how long after that, like how long you guys had to push if you had to push before you felt sort of the market pulling you? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it was... <sighs> We got a lot of feedback from mm-hmm. people from Show HN. Everything from, oh, you know, because we launched very rudimentary geocoder just supported the US. You know, can you support other countries? Can you support reverse geocoding? Can you do this? Can you do that? You know, and we listened to all of that feedback. Again, I didn't know anything about customer research at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a matter of sort of being curious and open to what people are saying, but really without you know, I didn't know what jobs to be done was or or how to interview someone or how to ask them about what they're trying to do, right? I had no idea. Um, so, you know, but we we listen to people who'd be like, oh yeah, like, can you do reverse geocoding? Like, cause you know, we've got all these trucks around the country and we need to get those, they send us coordinates back from the GPS on them and we need to be able to know where those are. And we we're like, yeah, that makes sense. And we had a bunch of other people ask for it and we're like, okay, can we build that? Like, is that feasible for us and it seems like people want it mm-hmm. all right let's do it and then the same thing happened with uh uploading spreadsheets where people like hey like you know we started as an api and targeting developers and then people say hey you know i like i have spreadsheets of addresses and uh can you guys support that and we like looked into it and the only option at the time to geocode a spreadsheet was you could like send it to this guy and he would get it back to you in a couple of days Mm-hmm. And we we're like, that seems like a good so, opportunity for software instead of like this shady thing, right? <laughs> that is very not transparent about how long it's going to take and how long it's going to cost and everything. Um, and and we had a bunch of people ask us for that, and so so it was kind of like, okay, if we have something, and then a bunch of people ask us for us, and then we ask them why they need it because neither one of us comes from a GIS background. Like we are not. Wow. People push back on me about this, but like we are not, you know like geography people i guess we are now but (laughs) (laughs) like our background is not in gis so people would ask us for hey like can you make the census data available we'd be like why like because we genuinely did not know what people were using this data for we only knew about our own use case um it's always just kind of being curious and open to what people were telling us, but a lot of that mm-hmm. came from, you know, we got a lot of traffic early on. It turned out we built something that people really needed. Um, and, you know, if you launch something into a forest, you're not going to get these kinds of, f- and, sure. and, and nobody hears it, right? Like, um, you're not going to get all of those emails of people saying, hey, like, this is great, Can you? but can you also do this? Because I got this other thing I need it for. Um, 
you know, it's it's hard to pin it on just one factor. I mean, it did take over three years, I think, until we like trusted the revenue, like we trusted the business. Like, I mm-hmm. think I pretty much woke up every day for three and a half years being like, this is great, but this could go away overnight. Like, what mm-hmm. if, you know, Google changes their pricing or their terms or Amazon comes into the space or, you know, well, just like whatever that was or like our customers decide they hate us and they all cancel. Like, <laughs> you know, all, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you've only got a couple dozen people paying you every month, that's a very real risk, right? True, true, true. Um, so I think it took me about three and a half years until I really like I trusted mm-hmm. the revenue, I trusted the business, I trusted that this was not going away and went full time. But I don't think there was ever a moment when I was like, "Yes, we have achieved product market fit." Like, check it off on the to do list. You know, like that <laughs> right. moment never really that. Like that never happened, which is kind of interesting. So I guess we are, I guess you would say we are post product market fit or we are right. in product market fit or, um, I mean, but like there was never, ARR sort of feels like it I is. never really felt that inflection point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think a lot of people before that, they would hit the check mark and go around yelling, saying, I think when you're not in product market fit, you definitely feel that you're not. (laughs) Mm, But when you're after it, it like, you know, you've got other problems that you're Mm -hmm. tackling. And I think if you have lost conception of whether you are at product market fit or not, because you're so busy serving customers and dealing with scaling problems, then you've probably hit it. Yeah, which you guys are, I mean, at this point, you know, with all that revenue, so... Yeah, that is pretty impressive. And you were you guys were holding on to your jobs before the three year mark. Is that did I catch that correctly? Yeah, because we lived in the US and uh, health insurance as an entrepreneur is so expensive in the US. Um, And we have a family. So and, and, you know, my my dad was actually a software consultant when I was a kid. Both of my parents are software engineers. Um, And I remember my parents talking about like you know, how bad our health insurance was and Mm -hmm. how much they're paying for it. I mean, like when I first started looking at it for us, the premiums were like $3,500 a month just to have the privilege of having health insurance. Plus, you know, I think it was like a $6,000 deductible, which is basically what you have to pay out of pocket before Mm -hmm. the insurance will even pay for anything. Like, so we were looking at, you know, $20,000, $30,000 a year um, in health insurance costs. And, you know, like, if you're a single person, you know, maybe you can mm-hmm. just get, you know, caveman health insurance and just pray you don't get sick. Right. Uh, and, you know, pay $500 a month. But, um, you know, having a family definitely felt that responsibility. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think also wanting to have a stable job for, for that reason as well. So um, that's probably why we held on a lot longer but than most people would. But also it's why I think I'm so um, – passionate about being an investor in funds like Calm Company Fund and Tiny Seed that make it easier for entrepreneurs to go full-time sooner because I know how hard that is. I also know how great software businesses are, like as businesses. So, you know, both from a personal and an investor's perspective, like those are very attractive to me. But like we know how hard it is to make that jump from 
mm-hmm. full-time job to running your own company or being a consultant to running your own SaaS. Like that's really, really hard. And I, um, I've been there myself and I have a lot of friends who've been there. And so, you know, trying to, trying to make the path a little bit smoother for, for the next generation of people coming up. Yeah. Especially when you have a family, like you mentioned, you know, like it just, things pile up and, you know, you can't just give up like a safe job that is paying the bills and all those things that, you know, we call life in a way and then jump into something that maybe you're not sure about yet. But, you know, I'm super happy that it happened to you guys, you know, after three year mark, which doesn't sound like a lot in software, you know, uh, and being able, like being in a position right now where you guys enjoying sort of the, the investment, the time investment that you guys made along the way. Um, one thing you mentioned, and I have, I have it on my notes as a question. Uh, I somehow I thought Geocodio is part of Tiny Seed. I no. went to the Tiny Seed website. I'm looking for you guys' logo. There's <laughs> nothing there. And then you go ahead and mention it. So you're in there as an investor. Is that did I catch that correctly? Yes, we are going to be investing okay. in their Europe fund. All right. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. I some I I might have uh, heard you on Rob's startups for the rest of us podcast and i don't know how i made the connection but um was this public at, at any point uh i think i've mentioned it okay. like i don't like the the europe fund has been um announced i think it's still mm-hmm. getting rolling i don't know if i've actually sent them the money yet. like i don't know if that, like i'll do it like capital calls is how all that works i don't know if that's actually okay. happened yet i probably should know um <laughs> But we are, you know, like we've signed paperwork and we're committed. And I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it. I imagine I'm okay. basically yeah. like nobody listens to the show. Don't worry. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was it was important to us, and they happen to be launching a Europe fund. And what's unique about them um, is that they do batches um, with mentors, which so it's important for the founders to be in overlapping time zones. Um, so um, so that's why we are uh, investing in the Europe fund. And also, I mean, you know, Europe just doesn't get nearly as much funding. And yeah. um, it's it's can be complicated to be a European company um, getting funding from the U.S. sometimes. So. Um, yeah. So, yeah, excited to be to be a part of that. Yeah, I know that firsthand. I used to have an app and we were pitching to all kinds of investors back in the day. It was like 2015, I want to say. And it was like investors from Germany, from Turkey, from all over. And they, all of them, almost all of them would want like, so can you uh, give us a five-year Excel sheet with your outlook, what, how your company will perform? And we're like, we, we're just started. Like we have about, you know, $1,000 MRR. Like we don't know. I mean, we can make it up. So it was always like that. And then, you know, friends in US are like, oh, we just, you know, we just raised 500k you know easy with the pitch deck <laughs> i'm like okay great so yeah europe definitely does need some um i think recently it's been better but definitely needs something especially like tiny seed i respect a lot what rob is doing and uh yeah he's so generous with his knowledge and time and everything is done um so yeah um did, did you guys get an investment at any point or was it was all bootstrapped all the way through no we never got investment okay was there like a deliberate choice? Like, do you, are you like one of those, like that pick sort of sides and say like a hardcore bootstrapper or like a VC type of thing against them? I think we just never needed it. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Like when we started, we had, you know, I think we had maybe a thousand dollars in our business bank account from that ad revenue from that app. So we had a little bit of a cushion there. Mm-hmm. I think we also had, you know, I think we had like a thousand dollars in AWS credits too, which were really helpful. Okay. Um, so it's not like technically fun, you know, like the, technically that's marketing spend for them, but like for us, that might as well have been an a thousand dollar check. Cause we didn't have to pay for S3 for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we never, you know, and then we, you know, we made like $31 a first month and then I don't know, I think it was like $130 the next month. And then, oh. you know, so like it was, it was growing every month and our, and our expenses stayed at that. $20 a month point. Okay. So like, and then, you know, it, it eventually, you know, very quickly we, we had more costs, I think even a couple months in. Um, but we have been profitable from that first month. So we have just never needed investments mm-hmm. and it's been offered to us, but I just never, we, we just don't need it. Such a good position to be in. Like you yeah. get contacted by VCs. <laughs> like, no, I mean, we can chat for an hour, but no, we, we're okay. We're I don't fine. even take the phone call. It's <laughs> okay. not worth my time. Right, yeah. You know, and also they might be doing, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they might be doing reconnaissance for a mm-hmm. portfolio company of theirs. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when, when a VC calls you up, it doesn't necessarily mean they want to invest in you. Yep. Like, you should be careful and guarded with that maybe they want to invest in you but maybe they're just doing reconnaissance yeah right, it's so nice to have these uh the confund and the tiny seeds where you're like you know they've built trust over the years and if they contact you or if you're applying to them and then you're sort of getting a call and it's something solid like they're not trying to yeah. find out about geocodio's competition how they're doing etc you know they're one of us yeah right so it's just really yeah. cool um earlier you mentioned that you had previous products that maybe didn't make you throw and I was curious, were they B two B, B two C, like how, what sort of markets they were in? Um, so I guess they were a combination of things. So we had a couple of different apps too, like we we did one that was, um, that actually helped you find restaurants based on their um, like food uh sanitary ratings like from the health board. Mm-hmm. So you could like similar to the other one we built, you could pull up a map and then it would show you the. I forget the word, the, the name for this, but like basically their, um, their, their inspection ratings, uh, like sanitary ratings. Um, actually that one, part of the problem with that one was it was tanked by geocoding because we accidentally fixed the oh. map over a certain area. And so like you would pull up the map and then it like was supposed to be where you were and it was fixed somewhere else. Just, it was like a prototyping thing that slipped through. Okay. So that one didn't go well. Um, we had another one that was uh, static site hosting for WordPress. Um, that didn't go anywhere. I got that one was more B2B. And that one actually my husband launched with a friend of his and it didn't end up going anywhere. Uh, like it was launched and I think it had like maybe one. I don't even know if it ever had any customers actually. I think that one I think that one might have just been too early um and not marketed enough. Um I'm trying to think of the other ones we did. Um yeah, I mean it's kinda it's kinda, you know, luck of the draw in a way of, you mm-hmm. know, also which market you end up being in. Like if it's a good market, like that makes a big difference. Um 
but yeah, just because we have a successful business now doesn't mean we have, you know, it's not like I personally have the touch of gold and everything automatically becomes successful. Right. Um, so, <laughs> uh, um, which, you know, people sometimes assume is like, oh, you're just somebody who everything works out for. No, right. <laughs> no. <laughs> You get that cloud. I have failed just as much as everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, we we talked about luck earlier, but now I see that you you guys have been knocking on the door for quite some time, you know. And I think that that's part of sort of, you know, building that luck in a way, Um, you know, like you've tried so many products and then you hit one, which you start listening to clients, you know, coming in with their requests, et cetera, and then grow it into something bigger. So I find that very inspiring and hopeful in a way for what I'm doing because I've been knocking on the door for quite some time. Even though I've, I've had an exit last year, I haven't yet built a, um, a self-sustaining uh, SaaS app, meaning a decent MRR, which helps me quit everything else and focus on that. So I'm in, I'm in my quest to achieving that and I've been knocking on the door for a long time. So that's why I ask the question always like, you know, do you think it's luck? Do you think it's that? Do you think it's this? That's my curiosity sort of. I think really your um, question is why hasn't it worked out for me yet? Maybe, maybe, yeah. I, I guess that could be it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have the answer. I guess the market or I don't know. I have to dig down and see. That's a good question. You made me think now. <laughs> I think it's a very natural question to ask, right? <clears throat> no, Especially, you totally. know, I think in this yeah. community, you know, you see people's posting about their successes on Twitter. And mm-hmm. if, you know, on the one hand, you know, super happy for somebody when, you know, they hit 1,000 or 10,000 or 20,000 MRR or they get to quit their job or they get to stop mm-hmm. freelancing. But then if you're not at that point that yet, like it can be quite isolating and yeah make you kind of think like like why why are things working for this person but not me like what am i doing wrong yeah it's very natural no totally totally like one one question that i've come one answer that i've come closer to over the years um is that the products that i'm trying uh they're probably not in the right market currently like the market is not um i'm going with justin sort of take on you know like finding a market that sort of the wave right the wave, surf yeah. the right waves yeah you know yeah. like catching on that you know like right now like my product is about blogging which blogging has sort of you know faded away in recent years like not many people blog but what well, people like is... Substack or something exactly yeah. yeah so blog static has the newsletter capability so i'm trying to see if maybe there's something in there like newsletters you know email marketing etc uh, but it also has to align with what I'm interested in also because I, I work on it all day. It's not like a team where we're chasing some, you know, unicorn exit or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, but definitely a good question to ponder about and feel sad about <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> so anyway, but um, yeah, so um, do you have a preference to like B2B versus uh, B2C? Like if you were to start a new uh, app today, this month? Oh, yeah, B2B all the way. Okay. Though, I mean, I guess my podcast is kind of B2C. Well, I don't know. It's like it's how we make money is B2B, but it's it's it's, mm-hmm. B2, it's B2B to C, I guess. Okay. Uh, it's kind of weird. But, uh, B, I mean, if I was going to start a new SaaS, it would definitely be B2B. 
So what is something that the first thing that you would do if you were to start a SaaS today? Like, is it, would you look at a market? Would you look at something you're interested in? Uh, how would you go about that with all the knowledge that you have? Yeah, I mean, I think chasing your own curiosity is important, mm -hmm. but also like steering it to figure out, okay, where within my curiosity are there frequent and painful problems that people are already paying for? Mm -hmm. and where they are dissatisfied with the current options out there. Like that's something we hit on with Geocodio was mm -hmm. that like, like people definitely needed geocoding, like, um, but they were dissatisfied with Google, right? In terms of pricing, in terms of terms, in terms of not being able to store the data. So like it was a very frequent need. Um, lots of people needed it and there was frustration with incumbents. Um, so I think that made it a good opportunity. Um, so that's probably something I would look at. Um, I definitely would not start building anything before I had a sense for um, like whether people needed it. Mm -hmm. um, so there would be a lot of, of talking to people and just kind of getting curious, trying to understand, you know, what they need and, 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 and where is that, that nexus of what people need what they're paying for, where my own competencies are, um, and what also seems like a good, you know, a good market to be in, right? Because it doesn't matter mm -hmm. if a lot of people need something if they're not willing to pay for it. Or if a lot of people need something, but, you know, it, you know, it turns out that they, they need personal satellites. Like, I can't build that. Right. So, <laughs> um, so, so, you know, finding, finding those nexuses is very important. And I think being open and, and flexible that, you know, mm -hmm. the initial idea is not going to be the end idea. That, that's never the case. But the initial mm -hmm. spark of excitement about something, if you keep following it rather than committing to a specific uh, vision and implementation of something early on, like if you just remain flexible and open to what other people are saying and what you can observe, mm -hmm. um, then 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 that's the path I would go down. Yeah, and I find it easier, actually. <laughs> you know, bringing up, again, Block Static, like when I launched, it was just a static blog builder. And then some of the clients that were paying, they're like, you know, can we send an email with this? And I'm like, no, this is not an email sending thing. You can use MailChimp, ConvertKit, et cetera. And then that question kept repeating. And then I sat down, and I'm like, well, let me look into how this can be done. So I did it and now like I'm selling that too. So, you know, that part of listening, like you said earlier about Geocodia, you know, it's just so much helpful just to like your initial idea is not the end idea that will work out probably. Yeah. So, and I mean, um, even yeah. with Geocodio, I'm still asking people mm -hmm. like just yesterday I emailed someone and said, oh, that's really interesting. Can you tell me what leads you to need that? Even mm -hmm. if it's something that I, it's pretty clear to like, I like I can come up with a reason why they would need it. Nine times out of 10, I ask that question and I think the answer is obvious and I think it's a stupid question. And it turns out that their answer is totally different right. than what I had imagined. And it's like, whoa, oh, that's interesting. I didn't mm -hmm. even realize that was going on. Huh. Like, so just always ask the question when someone asks a feature request, you know, thank you for bringing this up. I appreciate you reaching out. Can you just give me some background context on what leads you to ask for this? Yeah. And see what they say. And this leads me to the next question, which is about your book, Deploy Empathy. And what you just said, that's sort of like what the, the book sort of is about. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. about how to ask those questions to people, whether it's over 
email or very often in an, in an actual conversation um, to try to figure out what they're trying to do in the first place and the tools they use for it, how frequent it is, how painful it is, mm-hmm. and where the opportunities for you might lie within that. And it's a guide for, um, you know, I think I started out writing it for founders, but very quickly learned that there's a lot more people who need this. Um, but you know, how, how do you have those conversations? And so there's scripts for whether it's at the discovery stage where you don't have anything or you want to know why people canceled or you want to know why people continue to pay you so you can find more people who will pay you, who are, you know, who your product is already a good fit for. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's scripts for a bunch of different scenarios and templates for how do you reach out to people to try to make it easy for people to learn from their customers. And this is based on your experience as you were growing and running Geocodia, correct? Yes. Um, but I also, I, you know, I was working a full-time job for those first three years of Geocodio and I was a product manager and I had the oh. incredible good fortune to get to learn how to do customer research under two, actually three really incredible experienced people, uh, one of whom basically has a PhD in UX research. Mm-hmm. Another one who was a who was a product manager. Another who was a an experienced design leader. Um, they taught me how to interview and how to do this kind of research. Um, you know, both qualitative and quantitative. Um, to to get people to open up to you and understand what they're trying to do and where the opportunities are. Um, and so that experience was just, I mean, revelatory for me as a product manager. Like. I went from, you know, looking at spreadsheets and just kind of guessing why things were happening and then building features and then they didn't work. And it was like, mm. OK, but we looked at all the data like the data, according to data, it should have worked. It's no, because a spreadsheet of data will tell you what is happening, but it will never tell you why. And in order to know why you have to talk to people, whether that's asking them, hey, why do you need this over email or in a conversation? Hmm. Interesting. So, and the book is available everywhere, I would assume, right? Yeah. It's on uh, Amazon. Or... You can buy it from me directly. Um, you know, if, uh, yeah, yeah, you, you can get it uh, wherever. Um, the audiobook will be out soonish. I've finished recording it. Now it's just kind of some final details to make it available. And it's you reading it, right? It would mm-hmm. be you. Oh, that mm-hmm. is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice to like hear uh, the author actually reading the book. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. I think so, with this, like the, the sorry, the, like the no, tone of I'm... voice is so important, both mm-hmm. for, you know, it's a book about how to use empathy for business purposes. But it was really important to me that the reader understood what it is like to be on the receiving end of empathy through the experience of reading my book if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it was really important to me that the way the book was read was very empathetic. But then also when you're asking questions, tone of voice really matters. So, um, you know, you, you could have reached out to me asking for email for my blogging service. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and if I, if let's say it happened to me on a phone call and if I say, why do you need that in the first place? Like, that sounds kind of critical and like you might not really want to tell me. Right. Um, but if I say, oh, so so why do you need that in the first place? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then you're more likely to give me an answer and be open. And so 
um, just since, yeah, since the tone of voice and the way things are said really matters, um, and how the reader is handled really mattered to me. Um, I recorded it myself, which was uh, a fun experience. That is pretty cool. Yeah, the tone of voice, like that's something I'm trying to learn to do better as I communicate with my kids and try to get mm. them to do their homework or, you know, like what tone of voice do you use to get them to do something that they should be doing for their own benefit in a way? So, yeah, actually, I took yeah. a lot of inspiration in how I structured the book mm-hmm. um, from the from the classic parenting book, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and How to Listen So Kids Will Talk. Oh, okay. Which is like a sort of a parenting Bible for, you know, gentle, empathetic parenting. Mm, Very cool. Yeah, Um, I should get that. I haven't read a a parenting book in a while. My son is 10, my daughter is five, and uh, so busy with work and everything. I I should be reading a bit more. I, my daughter is eight, and I find I, you know, I, I on the one hand, I feel like I, I really wish I had read a lot more parenting books I before know. we had her and when she was an infant. Yeah. Um, but I still find value out of them today so much, you know. So it's it's amazing how small changes in wording can make such a big difference. You know, the difference mm-hmm, between, mm-hmm. you know, um, can you put your plate in the sink after dinner versus simply saying like that's like nagging, right? Versus yeah. We, we the first time we learned this phrase we, we were surprised by how magical it was we expect you to put your plate in the dishwasher after dinner yeah and then she just started doing it and we were like what is this magic <laughs> i <laughs> like mean it sounds small, empowering you know right small changes in mm-hmm. wording and phrasing make a huge difference whether that's talking to children or coworkers, your spouse or with mm-hmm. customers and so my hope is to give everybody some of that magic I know, like, you know, like, some, I think the old way is, like, kids being told of what to do. Whereas, like, I see my son, he's, like, 10. He's, like, growing up so fast, and, you know, soon he'll be an adult. And the way he talks, and he wants to be talked to, like, you know, like, he deserves respect. He wants respect. And I noticed that with his teachers, like, the way some of his teachers are better than the others are the ones who know how to talk, like, the way they they express what is expected of my kid. And I see that with all these teachers, you know, and I know who is doing good and who is not just based <laughs> on that, you know, it's amazing. So but everybody, yeah, everybody wants book. to be treated with respect and everybody deserves yeah. to be treated with respect. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, um, but anyways, to wrap everything that we talked about, one thing I'm curious about is that you run a SAS, uh, a newsletter, right? I, I mean, I don't really, I don't really write the newsletter as much anymore because I wrote the okay. book as a, I wrote the book rough draft as a newsletter. Like mm-hmm. I did it in newsletter format, so I wrote it a lot more, too, almost too much at some points last year. Okay, and now it's like maybe once a month I write something. It's not very often. And then your, your podcast is weekly, right? Yes. Is that correct? Okay, cool. So do you have like a special way of organizing your day, your week, like? Something that works for you or it's just like, how are you like me? Uh, or you have a calendar and you sort of try to, to, um, to, you know, get as close as possible to it. I mean, I have some boundaries on my time. Like, you know, mm-hmm. only certain days I do recordings or calls with certain time zones. Um, you know, I try not to work too late at night, which is a challenge when you live yeah. in Europe and you serve North America customers. Um, but 
I have to-do lists. I have, I mean, my, my inbox is my to-do list. I mean, I have ADHD, so I spend Mm -hmm. a lot of time and energy, uh, trying to, uh, optimize my productivity and my work kind of flows and environment to make myself productive. Um, yeah. (laughs) That sounds about right. I mean, (laughs) Yeah. I'm always curious, you know, like, you know, you're highly productive and you have a SaaS that is uh, growing and doing great. And, you know, managing your time is important. And like, you know, like you said, you know, we I, we touched upon a bit earlier, you know, about, you know, being able to say no and not taking the calls with VCs because, you know, you're not going to get out anything from them or you're not going to be able to provide them with anything that's beneficial to them. Even. So I think those boundaries, like you said, is, are, are so important, you know, just saying no. Um and I, I read this on Twitter the other day. Um, when somebody asks you if you're busy, you just say yes. <laughs> that was, I think, very, very good thing. Was know? that me? Well, if somebody asks you, if somebody comes to you and says, is about to ask you about something, and they say, hey, Michelle, are you busy? And you just say, yes, I'm busy. And that means that you're busy maybe just resting, you know, maybe busy not being busy with somebody else's sort of needs. And sort of like having that boundary and saying, yeah, I'm busy. I have no I, time for anything else, you know? I think you may have actually confused me with someone else because I don't remember. No, not you. I, maybe I, uh, I, I overheard it on Twitter. Oh, okay. Yes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I don't know, something broke out in the recording. But yeah, I just read it the other day and uh, I thought that was good. Because I have the tendency to say, somebody asks me, like, are you busy? I'm like, no, what do you need? It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, I've, had, I've unfortunately had to start saying no to people um Mm. because i just i don't i don't have time to say yes to everybody um and if i want to you know have time to run my businesses and you know be the kind of parent and and spouse and have the kind of life that i want i just Mm -hmm. i just don't have time for everything anymore and also you know i feel like i have um done such a brain dump in the form of my book and all the podcasts I've done over the years and everything that like a lot of things people reach out to me about like they can find the answers and what I have already written about or I have already said like and um so it kind of pains me when I you know don't reply to a request for something but I'm also like they can they can they can follow their own curiosity and figure out the answers mm-hmm. from things I have already said. I have scaled myself enough that I can, you know, do that. Yeah, totally. Uh, for me, it was when, uh, you know, when my kids were born and they started growing up, like I wanted to be home at a certain time. And now everything before that time has to be optimized. Like I work up to like 4, 5 p.m. And if something is, I, I, I feel like it's going to drag me out of that sort of productivity and maybe um strip me of my freedom to be with my family at a certain time like it's a hard no for those things like i have a reason like when i was single like not married no kids like i was more keen to like wasting my time with everything around me so that sort of like brought it together like nope i have until five i gotta get this thing done like i have no time for anything else so yeah that was good but um hey michelle it was so awesome talking to you thank you so much for taking time out of your day and sharing with us, with uh, listeners, uh, your experience, your knowledge. Uh, for me, it's been very valuable learning from you for this past hour. 
And uh, I hope to chat again with you down the line and then hear about more about GeoCodia successes and other things that we're up to. Thank you so much for having me on, Val. Yes. So uh, talk soon. Okay. Have a good one.